Real estate is not rocket science. And every day agents are trying to complicate a business that's not complicated. It's not complicated. What real estate is in the end, it's a battle for consistency. That's what real estate is. And the thing you get paid most for in real estate is not being smart, it's not being creative, it's being consistent. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I think you guys are really going to like today's chat. I've been talking for a few minutes already with Steve Scholl. So Steve is uh, an author. Um, he's, a, he's a real estate coach, a former real estate agent. Um, he's going to talk a lot about um, a new book they have coming out. And maybe it's already out, and I'm excited to learn that journey. So Steve, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. Where, uh, where are you living? Where, are you, where, where am I calling you in from? I uh, I live in uh, Southern California, West Los Angeles, to be exact, and have been out here for over thirty years. All right. The I used to uh, I previously lived in Northern California. I went to school down in uh, San Luis Obispo, so I was close to LA for a long time. And the the only thing my my, my family misses the weather more than anything in the world all the time. They say, "Why can't we be back in in California?" That's the to be here. <laughs> yes. The, and, and so you're in a heck of a place. Well, cool. So the so when did you get into real estate? Uh, I got into real estate in 1991, and uh, it's an interesting story. I uh, I grew up outside of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I went to school at the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, and. I was fortunate enough to, uh, I played football there and uh, made it with the Miami Dolphins in 1980. Uh, I was a free agent and played linebacker and played for Don Shula, the winningest coach in NFL history, and got to play in a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 17 uh, against the Washington Redskins. Unfortunately, we lost. However, uh, I was try. I was one of the captains for that game. Got to go out for the coin toss, and uh, you know it's a once in a lifetime experience. Uh, tore up my knee, uh, ended my career after four years. From there, uh, I went back on an MBA from the University of Miami, and then uh, they had one of those college days where people come in and talk about different business opportunities and. This young guy from Goldman Sachs came in and gave a whole spiel about investment banking, which I knew nothing about. And I said, whatever that guy's doing, that's what I want to do. And uh, I didn't quite make it at Goldman Sachs. However, uh, I got hired by uh, Citicorp Investment Bank, went up to uh, New York, went through a, a training program up there, came back to Miami for about a year and a half, and then the office in Miami closed, and I went back up to New York and got a job at Solomon Brothers, and I was right at the epicenter of all of the world of Wall Street. And so that was uh, a pretty intense experience. And then uh, a couple things happened. Ended up uh, back in Florida, and then I happened to listen to a CD, which was an interview that Mike Ferry, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know that name, uh, had done with a, there were two young agents in Long Beach, California, Kim and Daryl Rouse. And uh, I listened to that interview. They were in their second year. They were doing 100 deals a year. And everything kind of made, se made sense to me on that interview. I ended up moving to California. Hadn't spent any time there. Fulton, California, to be exact. And uh, started going to the Mike Ferry seminars. I teamed up with an experienced agent. And I was listening to what, 
what, what was being shared at these programs. I put it into action in our first year, 1991, which if anyone was in real estate back then, horrible, horrible, horrible market. Buyers were making multiple offers. And what that meant is they were making multiple offers on different properties to see which one they could get the best deal on. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I jumped in. In first year, we closed 53 transactions. And in my second year, we were on track to do 100. And I went to Mike with the idea of creating a coaching program for real estate agents. And in 1993, that's when the first coaching program was launched. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. So the so what what year did you get to do the Super Bowl coin toss? That was 1982. So 1982. And yeah. a couple years later, the football career comes to a halt from an injury. Right. So then was that – so when you were talking about jumping back and forth from, like, New York and Goldman and NBA, that was about, like, an eight-year eight period? Was it school for a couple of years, then, like, five or six uh, years I, in the uh, business? Yeah. You know, went, uh, went back to – got my MBA. That was, like, 1984-ish, 85 Worked on Wall Street from 85 through 89 and then uh, headed out to California and ended up started selling real estate in 1991. Yeah. Very cool. And I'm sure the, you know, every time I get to talk to people in some of those like investment banking roles and businesses like that, they, everything, the talk starts going so fast. I can keep up with a lot of stuff, but I have a tough time being able to keep up with the brains of those guys in that in that kind of financial and in, in financial investment world. The did that help you when you became an agent? Like the previous stuff, like like your MBA experience and like your other work experience. When you became an agent, were you able to apply a lot of stuff, or did you feel like it was kind of brand new uh, application you were learning? Well. What ha going back to the CD that I listened to, what I instantly got was real estate was simply a progression. Contacts equal leads, leads equal appointments, appointments equal listings, listings equal sales. That, to me, that was the business. And so when I was going to these programs, Mike would have these superstar panels, and I would listen to what were these people doing. And the way Mike presented it back then was you had four options. Cold call, door knock, expired listings for sale by owners. Mike thought repeat and referral business was ridiculous. Open house was ridiculous. It was all about prospecting. So the way it was presented to me, I had four options. I wasn't going to cold call, and for whatever reason, for sale by owners, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So by default, I chose door knocking and um, expired listings. And, and because of my football background, I didn't question what needed to be done. I didn't have to like it wasn't about my feelings. It was about doing it. And so I started out knocking 25 doors a day and worked my way up to knocking 200 doors a day. And I called every expired every day. And I, I, I spent four to five hours a day prospecting and following up. And Based on my, my football background, which is very regimented, very scheduled, it wasn't foreign to me the idea of time blocking. You know, I was out at the door by 9 a.m. I'd be at the doors till about 1 p.m., come back to the office, do all. Uh, back then, there was no such thing as a, a CRM. I actually had to hire a computer programmer to build a custom CRM cost $10,000 back in 1991, a little different. Uh, it basically worked the same way as CRMs work now, obviously not, not, not as, uh, as advanced. Anyway, uh, I would make, I put every lead into the CRM. 
you know, back then I had a clipboard with me when I knocked on doors and I would track, you know, number of doors, number of contacts. If I got a lead at the door and a lead was defined as anyone who might be moving within two years, I'd get their name. I had the address. I'd ask for their phone number. Email did not exist at the time. I'd come back after a day of knocking on doors. I had a, a little Rolodex, not a Rolodex, a little box, index cards of 1 through 30 that represented the days of the month. Fill out an index card for each lead. Put it in the day when I would follow up. Everything was done, you know, manually like that. And um, so I was just very regimented in, in my prospecting and follow-up efforts and memorizing script and dialogue because all those things were not foreign to me from my previous careers. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Erdo Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. We use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Rivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used LineDesk, I've used Conversion, and I think follow-up boss gives you the most integrations that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform yet at the same time it's still affordable i do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that it's just a little more convenient for me um it tracks everything that i need i can customize it if i want if i want to go smart list based that's fine if i want to go task based it's fine i think it's one of the best systems and it's very user friendly it just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow-Up Boss. Purely objective, Follow-Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Yeah. The... I, lo I, I love that description. There, you know, one of my good friends, I, I first met him interviewing him on here. He played, you know, Elliot Hoyt played football for Boise State. And when he came to actually speak at our conference last year, talked a lot about how sports and even like football in particular for him, like the work ethic and the things that we learn to go apply in the business world, that real estate is kind of the perfect fit for that because so much of the process is regimented and that numbers game. I love the way that you also broke up, you know, it starts with, you know, prospects, lead, you know, lead the leads and, and, you know, and the whole, the whole system that you brought down, what turns into sales. So it is that numbers game. If you kind of, if you follow the process and you're, you're regimented and you make sure you put in the time, you will get that benefit. Most of the people that reach out to me, you know, online or listeners that are, that are, aren't doing as well, they're, they haven't quite put in all that time yet. And I was listening to a speaker this last week that was, it was, it's pretty funny. He said there's two and a half million podcasts out there, but 500,000 of them only did one episode. So five, 500,000 podcasts only ever released one episode. And then they were disappointed of the turnout or the listeners or the effort and decided not to keep going. And you think of like how that's like a real estate agent knocking on 10 doors and then going, okay, that's, that's not for me. So I, 
I love that part of your your story. So 1991, so it's a horrible time. It's a tough time because it was, you know, buyers are going to write offers on six different houses. They're going to wait. They're going to negotiate. They might be an escrow on several houses at the same time while they go through inspections and negotiations. So as sellers, you might think that you take that one off the list. Um, that was pretty similar. We saw that a little bit. It wasn't really a buyer's market, but we saw it when, when you know, in like 2011, 2012, when we're around that four months of inventory, it wasn't super uncommon for them to say, hey, we like these three houses the same. Let's write on all three and let's negotiate. And if we get a seller that won't be doing that, and it made it tough. That's where we learned as like a seller, sometimes accepting an offer was like, if you accept a wrong offer, that's ba- that's worse than not accepting an offer at all. Because if you get somebody that's going to t- tie it up. So Tell us about like during that time in, in 1991 where it was a tough market because I think that there's going to, there's some markets right now that are probably around the U.S. that are probably feeling a lot like that. Months of inventory are going up. It's becoming more of a buyer's market. There aren't as many buyers that are out there. They're getting to pick and choose a lot more. So what tips or things did you learn from then that you might recommend to agents today as they're trying to like change mindsets or, or, or be ready for it? Because today is very different than it was a year ago. Uh, again, I was blessed to, in my original training, to be taught the name of the game was listing property. That was the name of the game. And even as a new agent, I never focused on buyers. I always focused on going out and getting listings. Now, it was challenging because nine months into it, you know, getting back to the whole idea of, of being persistent, I had 40 listings and no escrows. That, that's how different the market was. Wow. And and I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, am I going down the wrong path? Should I be focused on buyers? And and, and thank goodness I, I kept the focus on listings. And a, a month later, had 10 sales in one month. Things things broke, and, you know, and that changed the whole, whole dynamic. However... If you're going to be in real estate, and this is a mistake that most agents make, is they take a very short-term approach to everything they do. And this is a 30-plus year career. This is not something you try for a week or a month or a year. It, the, the, you know, Real estate is a blue sky business, meaning there are no limits. At the same time, there are no guarantees. And the, the biggest mistake that I see agents making is, you know, they're all after instant gratification. I called expired listings every day. Every day. I mean, I called every expired every day. I'd print out on a, you know, a, an 8 by 11 piece of paper the listing. I'd put it on my desk. And back then, it was phone numbers were, were easier to get. Now you have that, that challenge. Back then, we could probably get 80, at least 80% of the phone numbers. And I would call the expired. If I didn't get an answer, I, they stayed on, in a pile on my desk. And I just kept calling until I got a yes or a no. Once I got an answer, if it was yes, they'd go into the CRM, and then I'd follow up through the CRM. But it took me six months to crack that code, so to speak, before I started to get any type of positive response. Same thing with knocking on doors. You never know how long it's going to take before you get some positive feedback. However, I I went to the door with a purpose, and the purpose was to get a lead. And again, I defined a lead, anyone who might be moving in the next two years. And if there was any indication of that, I'd take their information back, put it into the system, and let the follow-up happen. So one of the things that I say over and over again, real estate is not rocket science. And every day, agents are trying to complicate a business that's not complicated. It's not complicated. What real estate is, in the end, it's a battle for consistency. That's what real estate is. And the thing you get paid most for in real estate is not being smart 
It's not being creative. It's being consistent. And from football, I learned all about mastering the basics, having a good, sound foundation underneath you. And that's what I, you know, that's what I did when I was in the business, and that's what I coached to every day since. So we're going to fast forward a lot of years. I think, it, I think it's, I think it's great, great advice and a great perspective that you gave. And to think of having 40 listings at the same time and no escrows and, like, the thoughts that must be going through people's heads. Like, for, for people that have just become agents in the last five years, just imagine that and know that those markets exist. That sort of thing happens where it's such a buyer's market out there where the just by getting a listing, you're still not guaranteed that you're going to get paid. You still got to go through the effort of working through there as you push it. So we're going to fast forward all the way to now. Before, um, you, before you do that, real just real quick, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. When I started coaching in 1993, my top clients carried between 100 and 300 listings at any given time, just to show you how completely different things were back then. Yeah, and how many were they closing a year, do you think? Uh, you know, the top agents were doing 100 deals. But, you know, again, they're carrying 100 to 300 listings at the time. Yeah. I had one agent I coached uh, in 1996, Andrew Lacey, Spartanburg, South Carolina. He's a, he's a real estate coach today. Andrew closed, it was uh, 311 or 316 deals that one year. And uh, he was amazing. He would make 50 contacts a day calling expired listings. That was his goal. 50 contacts a day, and he knew if he contacted 50 people, he would set three appointments, and out of every three appointments, he would take one listing. And in that year, 1996, he went on over 900 appointments, took over 300 listings, and sold over 300 homes. Wow. The, that is it's some hard work, and, yeah. and, and it's pushing. It's just a... You know, as I think about, I think we'll see more, more of that to that extreme. Not the same percentage level, I don't think, because there's just lots of agents now. And it's still a, a low barrier to entry. But I think we will see less agents as things get harder. So you'll probably see more of that opportunity to gain market share. Um, some agents don't want to have a listing if they know it's going to take six months to sell, uh, sadly. Um, and so if you got, if you got, for those listeners that are willing to, to work on that, what a what a fantastic story as we get to remember. I got into real estate in the late 90s, and so I got to see, you know, ups and downs of that. I grew up in it, right? So my dad was a builder in the 80s, so I got to see what happened with interest rates, and I got to see what happened when uh, they shut down construction or, you know, d different things. Um, but getting to see, you know, markets go up and down and up and down uh, was a lot of what I saw. But, but the uh, remembering when real estate goes stagnant, it sure goes stagnant. Hard work out there. So... Chris Voss writes a book called Never Split the Difference. I read the book. I thought it was fantastic. A lot of the guys that are in my, um, in this other uh, entrepreneur mastermind I go to have read it and talked about it. And it, it's really a, a fantastic topic, right? And, and in general, for me, if I was going to summarize it, the fantastic topic says, like, never split the difference. Like, you should always just win. If you're going into a negotiation, um, there's no reason to kind of change it back. He goes through all these methods about how, but if you're going into a, a negotiation for something, and the biggest, the, big, the, the, the premise of it was FBI negotiator, if somebody's taken hostage, you can't say, just give me half the hostage back. You can't say, just give me their arm or give me their leg. You need the hostage, you need the hostage alive. That's the only mission that he's supposed to be able to go do. And so that really hit to me of like, okay, yeah, there are negotiations out there where, you're not trying to meet halfway. There are circumstances, and if you turn every circumstance into that. So I'm sure you have a much better explanation of that. I want you to tell me about your feelings of that first book and then what it's generated into now for you. Well, what happened, I, I was in my coaching career about 25 years, and one of my clients, Chris, was doing a book signing in Malibu, California, and she went to it and got a copy of the book for me. And... The title was very intriguing, never split the difference, because in real estate, what does every agent do to put a deal together? 
they split the difference. So, so common. You know, the title got my my attention. And so one Saturday afternoon, it was a rainy Saturday, I started reading the book. And I don't know, I can't remember exactly how it happened. However, I had one of those light bulb moments in reading the book. And I don't even think it's in the book. And the light bulb moment for me was you can't overcome emotion with fact, logic, and reason. And that's exactly what I was doing as a coach. I was boiling everything down to fact, logic, and reason. And I've written thousands, and I mean thousands of scripts, and they were all written in the same way, leading people to an inescapable, logical, reasonable, factual conclusion. And when I read, when I read that book, it, it hit me that I had it completely wrong. And I did a 180 shift in the moment. I didn't need to read more. I got what I was doing wrong. And I picked up, I, I found a phone number. I got in touch with Chris's son, Brandon, uh, who was working with Chris. And because when I read the book, you know, Chris is a former, uh, he was the lead international FBI hostage negotiator, uh, did that for like seven years. And they created a new methodology called tactical empathy in terms of their, uh, how they dealt with hostage negotiators. And in reading the book, just like football, 100% of what he wrote in that book applied to real estate. So I got on the phone with Chris and I said, Chris, I think what you wrote we can use in real estate 100%. And he said, great. And uh, we set up an eight-week negotiation course. And that was uh, about six years ago. And Chris and I have been working together for that period of time. And then uh, just a little less than a month ago, we, we co-wrote a book. It's called The Full Fee Agent. How to Stack the Odds in Your Favor as a Real Estate Professional. And, you know, it was, it was an incredible collaboration. And uh, it, it really, again, meeting Chris was a life-changing moment for me and really changed the way I coach. Yeah. So Full Fee Agent the, is the name of the book. And what, what does it mean to be a full fee agent? And why, and why is that so important? Okay. Uh, I define full fee as getting 6%. And in the markets where you can do it, it means keeping 35 and paying out 2.5%. There, there are some markets that really uh, frown upon, you know, splitting it that way. So, you know, those markets are those markets. However, for the rest of the world, you know, keeping six, keeping three and a half, it's a 40% differential. And however, the, the, the point of charging a full fee, the point in making 6% your standard is you've got to become a better real estate agent. In order to charge 6%, the idea is not charge 6% and go broke because nobody hires you. That, that doesn't work. The idea is to be able to charge 6% and increase your business. And you're going to increase your business because you come up, become a better agent. For me, and a lot of people may strongly disagree, and that's okay, I don't see how you can call yourself a top producer and then discount your commission. And we all know in most market, most agents, the majority, the vast majority of agents are charging 5% or less. Mm -hmm. In my mind, though, it takes no skill to lower your fee as a way of getting business. And ultimately, and this is something that everyone needs to be aware of, 
every force imaginable, every force imaginable, your mind, your uh, other agents, your manager, your company, your prospects, your clients, everything out there is conspiring to turn all of you into a commodity where you're competing on price and fee for everything. And I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I, I was a real estate agent, I'm married to someone who was a real estate agent. I've coached agents for 31 years. I owned a brokerage for five years. I know real estate agents inside and out. From the outside looking in, everything, you know, everyone thinks real estate is easy. The moment you cross that threshold and you're in the business, you understand how challenging it is. And no buyer, no seller can really understand what you do. Now, they all think they can do your job better than you. They're just yes. not fine to do so or don't want to take the time. And so as a profession, everyone thinks your job is easy. I know it's not. And I want my clients to get paid what they're worth. And that is, that is a passion of mine. And that's a big reason why we wrote the book. And that's where the title of the book comes from. It's about how to be a full fee agent. Real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Thank you for letting me interrupt for a second. I've got something really, really important to talk about. You know how last year we kept talking about that mastermind? What is the mastermind? What are we talking about with that mastermind? Last May, there was like 60 or 70 people of you listeners that had never met, flew out to Austin, Texas. We all hung out at this awesome event center and we spent a couple days with some great guest speakers talking about skills and strategies to succeed in real estate. And then we had these mastermind tables where everyone rotated, everyone got to meet everybody, everyone got to provide value. Some of the agents there had only done one or two deals ever. Some of the agents there had done hundreds of deals and they all got to interact and help each other build their business and build their strategies. And I've heard so many stories of friendships that came from that, of referrals that have come from that. There were six or seven people at that one that heard me talk about doing an Ironman and we all did an Ironman together in, in North Carolina last month and we had never even met before the podcast live. So the, it was, it's, it's been such, such a cool experience. The, I would love it for you guys to come. Today's March 6th through 8th. Sign ups right now. Go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind. We also have a room block set up. It's three days, downtown Austin. Great, really cool hotel, really cool uh, convention center that we're going to be hosting it. And we're going to get a chance to, I can't wait to meet you guys. I can't wait for you to meet other listeners. I can't wait for you to develop these new interactions. And really what we're teaching, yeah, last year was like, how do you make a business better? But the market was just starting to turn. And I was trying to give some people some advice of what to do when it, when it was happening. Now it has turned. And this time we're going to be talking so much about how to pivot and what to do next. So uh, again, I hope you signed up for the mastermind. Sorry for such the long advertisement, but I can't wait to meet you. Ibendigital.com forward slash mastermind. So in the book, do you guys go through, I mean, concepts about why they need to fight for it? Do you go through and, and give exam? I mean, there's a million examples out there of somebody say if somebody compete, you know, trying to get your commission, thinking you get paid too much and try to get your commission. Do you guys share some? Do you share stories in there? Give people tactics on how to, to counteract some of that. Well, all right. So now we're going to get into some mind blowing stuff here. Yeah. This entire industry, real estate, is built upon a false premise. The entire industry. And that premise is that you win or lose business based on your presentation, which includes the fee that you charge. That's not reality. When someone calls you up, when a potential seller calls you up and says, we're thinking about selling our home, we'd like you to come out and give us a presentation. It's almost universal. Every agent is going to jump up and down with excitement. Yes, opportunity. And everyone thinks the playing field is level, and everyone prepares their presentation. They'll take 
two hours, four hours, whatever it is, getting their presentation ready. They're going to drive out to the home. They're going to spend two hours laying out everything, going through, you know, pricing, staging, preparing the home, marketing the home, negotiating, going through escrow. They're going to lay out everything. And the reality is when you get that initial phone call, they've already made up their mind who they're working with or they're leaning strongly in a direction. We, we talk about it in the book, Chapter 2. It's one of the organizing principles. It's called the favorite or the fool. And in any situation, you're either the favorite or you're the fool. And if you're, the favorite, if you're not the favorite, by default, that makes you the fool. My top clients, having given a listing presentation in the past five years, Instead of a listing presentation, we do a 15 to 30 minute Zoom call up front. And in that phone call, we determine whether we're the favorite or the fool. If we're the favorite, then we're going to go out to the house and there's no presentation. You're just signing the contract, answering questions. And if you're the fool, you're not going out. You're going to exit the situation gracefully. And you're not going to waste that time getting prepared. You're not going to waste that time on the appointment. And you're not going to be on pins and needles for a day a week, you know, finding out whether you got the listing or not. And this is a really hard pill for most agents to swallow. However, this is reality. You're not getting listings based on your presentation. Now, are there exceptions? Yes. And what we coach to is we're not going on the appointment unless we feel we have an 80% chance or greater of getting that, that business. And when, when, when we're the fool, meaning we're looking at a 20% chance or less, we're willing to forego those opportunities. I don't want to go on 10 to get one or two. If I'm going on 10 appointments, I want to get eight, nine, or 10. And again, as amazing as this sounds, and I'm not making this up in any way, shape, or form, on a 15 to 30-minute phone call, I can find out whether I'm the favorite or the fool. I think that concept probably, I mean, I think it applies to real estate investors. It probably applies to just about anything where you're doing a phone lead, even probably as a buyer's agent at different times. Now that we're in this like sort of buyer's market, you know, it's, it's obviously if you're the only person offering on a property, you've got a better shot at getting it than when 10 people are offering on it. Um, but wherever there's like meeting in person, it's real common for investors to call and say, hey, I want to buy your house, right? Now that it's expired or now that you're in foreclosure, we want to buy your house. And I think being able to sort out if they're meeting with 10 people at the house or one or two or why, um, I'm really curious and interested in, in learning about how you guys determine that in that call. How about, you know, so super, several common things that happen right now. Buy, you know, house comes in, it needs 10,000. It doesn't appraise. Like that's an easy one, right? Doesn't appraise by 10,000 bucks. Buyer says, I've got no money or I'll split the difference. I'll meet you halfway. I'll come up, five, I'll pay 5,000 extra. And the seller kicks in 5,000. And either seller says no or buyer says no. So the agents say, let's, let's, we'll take it out of our commission. Right. So people are coming to you as their coach. You're saying, keep your whole fee. What do you, what, do you, what advice do you give people? Cause that's what's happening. That's what's happening like crazy right now on both the buy and the sell side. Agents, as soon as money gets tighter, uh, asking to cut your commission is like the first question. All right. And let's be very clear. On every deal, on every deal, there is a legitimate reason to give away your money. Every deal. It comes up every time. Every time. And everyone is reaching into your pocket every day for your money. And not only do they reach into your pocket, they feel entitled to reach in. They, they, they're not embarrassed. They're not shy. Somehow they think that money is on the table. And so 
I want to be very clear. This happens in every deal. There's always a reason, you know, whether it's a past client or they're going through hard financial times, you know, what, 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 whatever it is. At the same time, let's be, let's be 100% honest. If they need your $100 or your $500 or your $5,000 or your $50,000 or more, if they need your money to do the deal, they shouldn't be doing the deal. End of story. And the idea that it's your money that's going to put the deal together, that's complete BS. That's just fear and lack and scarcity taking over. The root of all evil in real estate, the root of all evil, and there's a lot of evil going on out there, the root of all evil is the belief that something is better than nothing. And when you buy into the belief that something is better than nothing, that's why you give your money away. You justify it in your own mind. Well, it's a $20,000 commission. I'll give away $500. I'll give away 1000 Net, net, I come out way ahead. So this idea that something is better than nothing causes you to compromise every standard you have. Every standard you have. And unknowingly, unknowingly, what you're doing every time you chip in. And remember, no good deed goes unpunished. It's not like when you give your money away, they go, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. That's so great. That's so wonderful. They just, it's, it's licensed to ask for more. They're just wondering, maybe I should have asked for more from you. You're not, you're not scoring points. And I know that's what you think. You're not scoring points by giving your money away. So again, this, this idea that something is better than nothing is a career killer. It's a career killer. Now, the way you think about it when you're giving your money away, the way you think about it is you only think in terms of the deal that's in front of you. It's only $500 or 5,000, whatever the number is. I would encourage all of you to go back for an entire year, for an entire year, and add up all the money you gave away in terms of how you discounted your commission and anything that you chipped in to make the deal go together. Add it up for a year, then multiply it by 30, the number of years you're going to be in real estate if this is your career, and the number you're going to get to is called your retirement. All the money that you gave away, that's your retirement. And so rather than working 30 years, now you're working 35 or 40. You, you've got to extend how many years you work. It's not a little bit. It compounds over time. Now here's the real kicker that people don't understand. When you are the favorite, when you are the favorite, they will pay you your full fee. They will pay you your full fee. They may, they may push back once. They may push back twice. However, they will pay you. When you're the fool, A, you're not getting the listing anyway, so it really doesn't make a difference what you, what you charge. And in those you know 20% or less times, when you are the fool in the game and you can convert it and get the business, typically you're going to have to give your money away to get that business. So this concept about the favorite or the fool, when you fully embrace it, changes the way you do business altogether. So the, it's like I'm convinced, right? So, so you convince me and you convince your people of, Hey, let's always know, right? Like, so somebody asks you to cut, here's no, and here's why. So the agent now understands why. That's my retirement. You know, people are willing to pay it, or they know that they're worth, they know they're worth it, or they know that if they say yes now, it's going to add up, like all the things. I love the saying that if they need your money to close the transaction, um, they shouldn't do the transaction. 
And I almost think that maybe that's the first response an agent should give. You know, if a buyer says, hey, can you, you know, pitch in some of your commission so I could still buy this to make up the difference on the, you know, the appraisal, right? And I could see an agent just using your words and, and saying, hey, if you need my money to do this deal, you really shouldn't do this deal. You know, you shouldn't buy this house if you need that. And I do know that so many agents in that word are like, oh my God, I'm going to kill the deal. I'd rather keep some of my commission instead. So I, I see that fear. I can even picture it on their face in our, in our made up scenario. But what would you have your agents say? Would you have them say that? Are there better lines? Are there little pieces of advice that might make that conversation go? I remember in, in Split the Difference, they said, well, how do you expect me to do that? Right. Somebody um, says, I need you to do this. You go, how do you expect me? Do you apply that to real estate? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, you know, how am I supposed to do that? That's one response. Another response is when they ask you for your money to say, you know, it seems like you're very disappointed in me or it feels like I've let you down tremendously or it feels like you must think I'm doing a horrible job for you. That's going to cause them to have a little pause right there. And, and most of them are saying, no, 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 it's not that at all. You know, I just really need this in order to put the deal together. And then you simply say, it is not my professional practice to make up any shortfall between buyer and seller. And that's it. You don't need to sell anymore. You, you don't need to say anymore. And they're either going to do the deal or they're not going to do the deal. And one of the things that we talk about, and this is very important for people to listen to, is or to hear, when you're explaining, you're losing. When you're explaining, you're losing. And this is, if you look at real estate, most every realtor, and again, this is the way you've been programmed and conditioned. It's not your fault. It's the way the industry is set up. The paradigm that most agents are operating in is a transactional paradigm, meaning they have a focus on doing a deal. They're chasing a dollar. And as part of that transactional paradigm is the idea that I mentioned earlier that we win or lose business based on our value and how we sell our value. And the way we sell our value is by convincing people with fact, logic, and reason. That's the way most every agent has been trained. That's the way most every agent operates, including all top agents. And some people have gotten really good in this paradigm. We coach to a very different paradigm. Rather than being transactional, we're relational. Our job is to cultivate and nurture relationship every day. It's not about chasing after a deal. Rather than pitching our value, we're building relationships based on trust. We're positioning ourselves as a trusted advisor. What does that mean? We always put the client first, always. We're never attached to the outcome. And rather than convincing, it's all about tactical empathy. And tactical empathy is the skill of articulating what people are thinking and feeling. It's the ability to make people feel understood. And this is a power that most people don't understand at all. When you make someone feel understood, and how do we know that happens? When they say, that's right, that's right. Not, uh, not you're right, that's right. When, when you get a that's right response, that's an indication that they get, that you get what they're thinking and feeling. And when you make someone feel understood, and we can get into this by the tools in the tactical empathy toolbox, labeling, mirroring, calibrated questions, no oriented questions, we can get into that in detail. When you make someone feel understood, it actually causes a chemical release in the body, two chemicals, oxytocin and serotonin. Oxytocin bonds people to you and it also promotes truth-telling. Serotonin makes people feel satisfied, less demanding. 
And so when you develop this skill of being able to articulate what someone is thinking and feeling, it's, it's the most powerful chemistry in the world. And so, again, we're shifting out of that transactional paradigm into a relational paradigm. And we understand when, when we are the favorite, they're going to do business with us, and they're going to pay us the full fee. So, again, this is a very, very different way of looking at what you do as a real estate agent. Yeah. I mean, it goes into, it lines up with one of the things you said at the beginning, which was just the idea that, that the, like, tact, facts is never going to outweigh emotion, right? Saying, like, no, you said this, and I have it in writing. They're still going to be like, no, that's not what I meant, though. Like, no matter what, I see, I think of all these examples where, where in business, tactics and the things that you tell them can't outweigh the emotion or how they feel. And so getting to lead with that as you go through, um, you know, the course of business, and I think it, I think it makes it, that also makes it so much easier with just where you, you said, like when somebody said, hey, can you, can you pitch into this? Because that's saying, hey, can I have some of your money? And usually it's because they think you get paid too much they're, or they're just jealous or whatever. They think that, wow, real estate's easy. And so, you know, you getting 15,000, man, I wish I was getting less. So they ask somebody, so they probably, they don't know. It's so been so recognized and so normal. When people ask for your money or your commission, they don't actually really think they're doing anything wrong. They kind of think it's, no, they just kind of think it's normal and how it's done or whatever. I love being able to correct and going, oh, wow, you think I've done a horrible job here. Oh, wow. Yeah. You think I, yeah. here, here, here is a real life story that demonstrates this at work. One night I get a call at 11 o'clock, which never happens, never happens. And it was from a long time client, 20 years plus I've been working. And now don't, the, these numbers are big. She had just double-ended a $70 million listing. And she called me up, and she was in a bit of a panic because the client had just come back to her and said, we'd like, we, we'd like to get a 1% credit, you know, since you're doing both sides of the deal. And this was not at a full fee. <laughs> you know, this was at a, at a much lower number. However, they were asking for an additional 1% credit. Do the math. It's $700,000. So she calls me up and she says, all right, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Yeah. I say, you're not going to want to hear this. And there's no way you're ever going to do this. However, here's what you need to do. And by the way, when I say you're not going to want to hear this and there's no way you're ever going to do this, that's tactical empathy. And I say, get on the phone and say to this client, say, I really need to apologize. I really need to apologize. And the client's going to say, for what? I must have done the most horrible job in putting this deal together. And the client's going to say, what do you mean? No, you did a great job. You did a fantastic job. Then I'm curious, how am I getting, why am I getting punished if I did a great job? And that was the end of it, right there. $700,000 conversation. And that's tactical empathy at work. Now, her, t her inclination would have been to defend everything that she did. You know, this is why I deserve my money. You know, here are the facts. Here's the logic. Here are the comps. This is, and, and that would have went nowhere. However, saying, I owe, you an I owe you a big, fat apology. I must have done the worst job imaginable. You know? And that's why you want to punish me. End of story. Yeah, that is really great, man. The as you share the story, Steve, I'm like I'm like sick for her, right? Because I couldn't imagine getting that. Because you're like, because first of all, because seven hundred thousand dollars is life changing for anyone on this planet. 
right? That's a lot of money that can go. And then to be put into that position where you're also like afraid to lose whatever you did negotiate, like they're like, Hey, something is better. The whole something is better than nothing philosophy sure makes you put your money where your mouth is when it is a $70 million transaction. Incredible. And um, I've never heard that as the, I've had a lot of people talk about why they don't negotiate and the, the comments back. And I haven't heard anybody describe the process like you have here. You know, we're, we're, we're running out of time. We've been talking for a while. The, I wish we had some more time to get to go into that toolbox. Um, but I'm guessing that that's where I'll be able to, to you know, get it from your book. Is your book already out? Yeah, book's out. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's on back order. However, uh, I think they're shipping in January. Uh, you can go there now and get the book. And, and we get into the book is not just theory. It, it's what are the mechanics of tactical empathy. And, you know, real quickly, I'll, I'll, I'll end on this note. As a, as a hostage negotiator, what you're selling is jail time to a highly emotional individual. Think about that for a second. I'm talking to someone who didn't start out the day thinking they were going to jail. And here they are, and you've got to sell them on the idea of the best solution is going to jail. That's a pretty hard sell. Yeah. And they're successful 93% of the time with in a hostage negotiation. As a real estate agent, your job is selling reality to people who have hopes and dreams that are not based in reality. That's your job every day. You've got to sell reality to people who have hopes and dreams that are not based in reality. It's not as hard as selling jail time. However, it's not that much less difficult. And this book gives you a framework of how you can sell reality. And it's real simple. Part one, you got to get all your thoughts and feelings, your hopes and dreams, your agenda off the table. And you have to fo focus exclusively on the other person. Part two, let them fully express themselves. Whatever they need to say, give them the space to say it. Part three, make them feel understood. Once they've shared what they're feeling, make them feel understood. Part four, make them think. And make them think in terms of reality. And part five, understand you cannot help people who don't want to be helped. And when you put this framework to work, in any sales situation, that's stacking the odds in your favor. And that's what the book is all about. That's, Steve, that's fantastic. The, uh, this was an exciting, fun interview for me. I think that there were some great topics that we covered on there. I think there was a lot of really applicable stuff, especially as we go into this time where everyone is doing less transactions. There's just less transactions to be done, right? People are going to be working harder for their money right now. Agents will have never worked as hard for their money in the last five years as they will be right now. Right. And being able to, you know, come into this time understanding that they've, um, you know, you got to protect what's yours. Uh, I love the philosophy. I love the stuff that you've said there. Um, our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. They're going to want to ask you questions or, or just follow along with other stuff that you're doing. So other than the book, is there any, any place online that people should, should reach out to find you or see more of what you're doing? Uh, they can go to performancecoaching.com or they can email support at performancecoaching.com. Steve, that was, that was great. The, I hope some people reach out to you. I know they will. The, thanks for coming on the show. And as always, Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you like, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. 
The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there, too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.